Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Around this time, um, one year ago, I preached my first sermon here. Do you remember, remember what it was about? Was it, thank you. It was Joseph. Well done. A plus to that student up there. <laughs> it was about Joseph. Even though it was November, Pastor Peter said, preach what's on top. Joseph was on top, so I preached on Joseph. Today, I'm going to preach about Christmas. And I know it's only November the... What are we? 18th, 17th, 18th? I know. And some of you are going, it's too soon. It's too soon. It's too soon for the Advent calendars. It's too soon for the stockings. Sandra, I've been a good doggy. It's too soon for the jingle bells. And Tico hates this stuff. <laughs> because when I put it on the tree, I'm forever vacuuming it up. I said, but it looks pretty. It's a, it's a payoff. The lights. It's too soon. More of the twinkly stuff. Decorations. $2 shop trees. It's too soon. The top of a tree, I don't know where the bottom is. <laughs> oh, now, um, our Christmas wouldn't be complete without our dog wearing her obligatory reindeer ears, which she hates, because she's already chewed that bit off, and her jingle bell bells round her neck. And the nativity, is it too soon? Is it too soon? Because somewhere, somewhere in amongst all of this stuff, the rush and the hurry and the bustle, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way, oh, what fun it is, you run one, it's like, hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way, oh, what fun it is, you run one, it's like, it's not fun. It's not fun. Because we get into this season and it's stress and it's rush and it's hurry and it's bustle and it's road rage in the mall car park and it's decorations, and it's presents, and it's food, and it's family together, which can be good, or it can be not good, and, and it's like, it's not fun, because we have been sucked into this, this thing that is Christmas, and because we've heard, even the nativity story, we've heard it so many times, Mary Joseph, beautiful, we've heard it so many times, we think we know it. And we don't actually take the time as we rush through December. We don't actually take the time to consider the beauty and the majesty of God sending his son that first Christmas. And I want us to stop today. Stop all that stuff and consider something about Christmas. Maybe that you've never really thought about. Because somewhere, buried amongst all of this stuff, is a simple truth. 
just a plain piece of paper with some words written on it, a simple truth. It's not Matthew. It's not the classic Christmas text, not Luke. It's Galatians, chapter 4, 4 and 5, and it says this. This is the simple truth of Christmas. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. You know what? When the time had fully come, timing can be critical. Like this picture. Got it? Timing can be critical. I'll just go for a swim. Lunch. Oh, I can't see. Oh, that's got a mind of its own. Better? (laughs) I am here to serve you. Have you ever bought something at a good price and the next day went back to the shop was 50% off? (laughs) Timing is critical. Have you ever been cooking a meal and the meat's ready 45 minutes before the veggies are or vice versa? Timing is critical. When we play on stage, if one of us is playing in a different time signature to everybody else or we get a bit out of time, sounds dumb. Doesn't sound right. Sounds bad because timing is critical. Timing. Oh, small kids. I remember when our kids were little, there's that moment where they're at that perfect tired point. And if you get them down to bed, they'll sleep for hours. But if you miss it, oh boy, then you get the overtired nightmare, right? Timing is critical. Here's the thing. When things don't happen on our schedule, we get frustrated, maybe even mad. I want it to happen now. You know, um, not long after Tico and I were married, we only had one car, and I had made an arrangement with him one day to pick me up from work at five o'clock. <clears throat> and so I was sitting outside my work. Wow, yeah, I'm going there, Tico. It's all right. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, I had made an arrangement with him to pick me up at five o'clock. And I'm the kind of person, I have taught my boys late is rude. Late is rude. Five past five, no one there. I just start just a, just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Quarter past five, still not there. Mm-hmm. Half past five, still not there. Mm-hmm. Five forty-five, I see. Our Mitsubishi hatchback coming up the driveway of my work. And by this stage, I wasn't here. I was like, here. 45 minutes late. And I was a I like I had the whole thing scripted out in my mind. I was gonna let him have it. Right? And I get in the car. And I'm just about to like let rip with my, my 
big thing to him about, why are you late and all that? And he goes, before I could even say it, he goes, oh, Shelley, it was, I'm sorry, I'm late. I was so excited. I was following this rubbish truck, and on the back of this rubbish truck was this, was this big um, air conditioning vent, you know, one of those silver tuby things. And I thought, man, that would be useful for stuff. So he said, so I followed the rubbish truck until it stopped, and then I got out, asked the rubbish truck guy, can I have that thing off the back of your rubbish truck? And so I've got it. It's in the back of the car. And, and so I literally, after he'd finished that sentence, I just looked at him and I just went, <laughs> You see, the timing was frustrating me because I didn't know the reason that the timing was off. And isn't that true in life? When we don't know the reason why the timing is not happening the way we think, we get frustrated, we get angry, we get mad. But when we understand the reason for the delay, that can really help us, eh? I want to look at three things today based out of this, these verses in Galatians. Preparation, intervention, objective. First thing is the preparation. This is where the whiteboard comes in. I want you to call out to me. There are so many parts to the Christmas story, so many moving parts so many bits to it. I'm going to call it the moving parts of Christmas. Start calling out to me all the aspects of the Christmas narrative that you know so well. Go. Awesome. Keep going. Joy. Presents. Oh, hey, listen, I'm really glad someone said Jesus. Do you know we did this at E-Group on Tuesday night, and we had a whole page filled up until we realized we'd left Jesus off? <laughs> what else? Angels. Shepherds. Yeah. Now, actually, sorry to bust your bubble, but the donkey's not in the story. Uh. The donkey is not part of the actual Christmas narrative. It's something that's made up. But if you come in about three or four weeks, I'm going to myth bust Christmas right before Christmas, okay? All right. Wise men. Good. The census. Someone said worship. Yeah, Bethlehem. They've got angels there. Someone said something. The manger, yeah. Yep, the animals. Oh, thank goodness someone got Joseph. Oh, yes, she was rather critical. Yes, rather critical to the whole thing. Mary. Yes, well, God, yes. The innkeeper. Um, the star got that. Say again. Uh, we've got wise men. Maybe there were three, maybe there were 11. We don't know, just because we're three grifts, we assume. I always say maybe they put five bucks each and, and bought, yeah, anyway. Okay. Anything else? Herod. Herod, yes. Have you exhausted your list? I promise. Travelling. Giving. 
the end? Yep. Yes, rather important also. Prophecy, good. I'm glad someone mentioned that. Faith. All of these things. We could keep going forever probably. But all of those things are the moving parts of Christmas. And God, as a preparation, had to work all of these details together to prepare the world for the arrival of Jesus. It's like a wedding. We were at Phil and Mel's wedding yesterday in Akaroa. Beautiful, right? But at a wedding, you know how, if you've ever planned a wedding, you know how much planning it takes. You don't just rock up on the day and go, phew, they're all wearing the same color, the bridesmaids. No, it's planned. You don't just sort of go, you know, driving through Akaroa and go, oh, we might have the reception there. Right, let's go in, let's get it. No, you have to book it months, years in advance sometimes. You, you, it's not, nothing is accidental at a wedding. The flowers, the dresses, the people, the music, the reception, the food, the name tags, the design, the tablecloths, the caterers. It's all planned so that on the day, on the special day, on the significant day, everything is ready. Everything is there. And as I watched Phil and Mel get married yesterday, <clears throat> I just reflected again on the fact that God took all these things and put them together in his plan until the day came when Jesus came into this world. And do you know what? In the same way that God planned the entrance of Jesus into this world, do you think that if he could plan all of this, that he knows your world? That he knows and can plan your timetable? There's one teeny weeny tiny problem though with the way God works. I've discovered this over the years. The part of his character hasn't changed, never will. Rarely does God rush. How annoying. Rarely does God rush. He carries out his plan in his time. Whatever God does, he usually takes a lot of time to do it. But at the same time, I've also learned over the years that God's timing is always worth the wait. God's timing is always worth the wait. Best story I know of this is something that's filtered through my own life. I've told you a little bit about it before, but when I came out of teacher's college years ago, um, I, there were no jobs. And so I started applying at different places, started working somewhere else and, and, and started applying in different places. A couple of times got down to the last two people because I was a beginning teacher, they chose the other person. And I spent six months whinging and moaning to God, oh, you wanted me to be a teacher, I've done all this work, and now this is not, and the door's closed, and I don't understand. And blah, blah, blah. If I was God, I would have got real mad. But God's not like that. He can take it. And then in the middle of the year, I went to Fiji, uh, did a music school over there. And God, in a miraculous way, spoke really clearly to me when I got home and said, I want you to go back to that country. I went, Okay. Um, I didn't know when, you know, five years, 10 years, 20, I didn't know, but I knew I'd be back in that country at some point. 
Went to my boss. My boss said, I said, what about next year? Boss said, nah, no way. Six weeks later, my boss called me from Wellington and said, hey, do you want to go to Fiji next year? In six weeks, God had put everything together. He'd moved all the parts into place. And three days before my 22nd birthday, the year after, I arrived in Fiji. Now, had I stuck to my own timing and my own plan, my life would be completely different. My life would be completely different. I wouldn't have met him, wouldn't have married him. I do, I've said it a few times before, but you know, I'd probably be married to Colin, the dairy farmer from Timaru, <laughs> with eight children or something, you know? My life would be completely different. And I've learned to trust, no offense to dairy farmers or Timaru people, anything. Um, <laughs> Or people that have eight children. It's God's blessing. Well done. Um, (laughs) But I look back now, you know what, and I thank God for those closed doors. I thank God for his timing. I thank God for the way he worked everything together in that situation. And, And here's the thing, man. We think God is like us. And he thinks like us, but he's not. He's not. He carries out his plan and his time, and we think he has to work with our schedule. Hands up if you've ever thought that. You work on my schedule, God. I want this to happen then. But often God, not only doesn't he, often he won't. Because he knows that our schedule is actually going to take us to a place we're not actually ready for. And there's a real tension. Why aren't things happening when I want them to? Here's another phrase, classic phrase. This is taking too long. This is taking too long. We can't even wait for five minutes in a drive-thru. But McDonald's, it should be like one minute and get my, I'm waiting five, why am I in the waiting bay? You know? We can't even do that. C.S. Lewis said this. I am sure that God keeps no one waiting unless he sees that it's good for them to wait. Wow. See, here's the thing. We can be impatient, anxious, impetuous, and impulsive. Impatient. Yeah, like the year I opened up all my presents ahead of time. Because <laughs> I wanted to see. It's all right, I have fessed up to my parents, but it took me 25 years anyway. We're anxious. We worry. What if this happens? What if this happens? What if that happens? And I don't We're impetuous. You know what that means? It means acting quickly without thought or care. And we're impulsive. Oh, I think I'll go this way. Oh, no, I think I'm not changing my mind. Oh, no, I think I'll go. (laughs) And we're just backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. We are impetuous, anxious, impatient, and impulsive. But compare it to what God is. Precise, painstaking, patient, and perfect. See, God doesn't throw things together. Everything he does is planned and precise and painstaking and patient and perfect. It's not a hodgepodge. It's not like going to the fridge and going, what have I got? Oh, throw that together. That is not God. That is not the way he works. It might explain why he didn't relieve that pain for you when you asked. It might explain why he didn't solve the dilemma. 
It might explain why he didn't heal that fractured relationship. It might explain why your prayer didn't get answered on your timeline. God's timing is always worth the wait. Say that to your neighbor. God's timing is always worth the wait. So God took his time to plan the arrival of his son. (coughs) Unhurried, precise, painstaking, patient, and perfect. I want to show you a couple of really cool things. When I found that, when I find this stuff in the Bible, I just like, I'm doing leaps around my study, like, whoa, this is good. Okay, so this is one of those moments, okay? I want to show you some things about God's long-term planning for Christmas. The first thing he did was to prepare the person. I want to read you two prophecies from Isaiah. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Next prophecy. Isaiah 9, 6. We all know this. We can just about say it with our, you know, without looking. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those were two prophecies that Isaiah gave. Here's the fulfillment. Next slide. In Matthew. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Do you know the distance between the Isaiah prophecy and the Matthew fulfillment? My e-group do. 700 years. 700 years God was planning 700 years he was working out his plan. Let me show you another one. This was about preparing the place. Should be another slide. Next one. There we go. Isaiah 7, 14. No, we've done that one. Can we go to the Micah one? Micah 5, 2. Is it there? Is it not? It's not there? Okay. Maybe I forgot to put it in. Micah 5.2 talks about Bethlehem being the place where the Messiah would be born. And then 700 years later in Luke, there's a census given. And uh, Joseph and Mary have to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy. 700 years. Really does God rush? He is in no hurry. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are 400 years of silence where God says nothing. Nothing. No speaking to prophets, nothing. Silence. But God wasn't up in heaven twiddling his thumbs and going, ooh, how do I use up this time? What do I do? No. God was up in heaven going, I'm working out my plan. I'm putting all these pieces together. In Galatians 4, 4 and 5, the first part of that verse, when the time had fully come, when the time had fully come, that means nothing left to chance, at the end of the time of preparation, when everything was in place, all those moving parts of Christmas for the birth of Jesus, God had worked all that out. 
But I'm telling you this now, God didn't put all this together just so we could celebrate Christmas every year. He thought even further ahead than that. His plan was not just for the baby. His plan was for the man. His plan was for the sacrifice. His plan was for the spread of the gospel around the world. And he had these, I want to show you, this is like cultural stuff that you need to understand. God is not just limited to what's on the board. God is looking at the world and the way the world operates and functions, and he can use that to achieve his plan. There were four factors that God looked at, that he went beyond just Jesus' birth. Firstly, the Pax Romana. After Jesus um, had gone and the gospel was being spread, there was a time of sort of peace in the Roman Empire. They conquered most of the known inhabited world, and it was reasonably peaceful. So it was a good time for the gospel to be able to spread. The second thing, the Romans built roads. They built roads so that people could travel from one place to another with relative ease. How do you think the gospel got spread? On roads. The third thing. There was the development of what's called lingua franca, or the common Greek language. whole New Testament is written in common Greek. Alexander the Great, after the fall of the Roman Empire, decided that that language would become the language of his kingdom. (laughs) And God goes, thank you very much, Alexander, because now there's a common language. That means that my gospel can go out in a language that everybody understands. Do you see how God is working all this together? And the fourth thing, the people were expecting and longing for a Messiah and a deliverer. They had been under the weight of the law for so long, and they wanted the freedom that he could bring. Now, put this all together. It's really hard to put it all together without kind of over-explaining it. I came across this the other day, uh, an over-explained Christmas song that you'll know well. Here's the first bit. A comprehensive range of sounds of a variable medium to high-pitched of a percussive nature. Jingle. Were emitted in direct consequence of the collision in random or orderly sequence of two or more objects constructed from the alloy of copper and zinc. Bells. All right. I'm going to give it my best shot. It's kind of over-explained, but I think it's the best way to do it. Listen. When the full number of years and months and hours along with each planned event, had run their courses, and the precise time was reached when God planned to give his son entrance into this earth's scene. He was conceived in the womb of the chosen woman, and nine months later, birthed in the exact location of the divinely selected geographical place. That's how meticulous God was and is. Everything was precisely, perfectly planned. And the timing was worth the wait because the timing was the next part, the intervention. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. Born of a woman relates to humanity. He was fully God and fully man via Mary and also the virgin birth. He wasn't born of a woman and a man. He was born of a woman and the Holy Spirit, and born under law. He was Jewish. He lived by the law. One person said it this way, Christ's birth at Bethlehem was not an accident. It was an appointment. Christ's birth at Bethlehem was not an accident. It was an appointment. 
You know, God's timing, I've said it 50 million times this morning, God's timing is always worth the wait. Jesus came to us. Do you get, like, Jesus came to us. Jesus left heaven and he came to us. Jesus came to us. That's the miracle of Christmas. That's what God was putting all that stuff together for, so that Jesus could come to us. Jesus came to us. That's why we're celebrating. And I'm not against Christmas trees and all that sort of, don't go home and say, Shelley said we shouldn't do it because it's not really Christmas and there's no donkey and she's just totally wrecked by Christmas. No. What I'm saying is that celebration is good. Family time is good, but don't let this overtake the simple truth of what God was actually doing. And if we rush through this season, how many of you, like, you get to December the 1st and you go, right, tree up. Okay, all right, so you get everything right. Let's start buying presents. Oh, flip, who do I have to buy for? I don't know. I've got to buy for people I don't even want to buy for. That's painful. And and then you get all the presents, and then you start, okay, where, where are we going to go on Christmas Day? Whose house do we go to? Which family? Oh, they're going to be offended. Oh, man. And we get to the Christmas Day, and we kind of rush through that, and we eat so big, and then we lie back and undo the belts, and oh, I'm so full, and I don't, shouldn't eat for three days. But then you eat the leftovers the next day. And, and you get to, like, Boxing Day, and you're just like, oh, thank goodness that's over. And I don't have to think about it for another year. And in the rush of the season, we miss the simplicity of what God was doing. God planned this intervention for the world. Jesus came and the timing of it was bang on. Bang on. So that God's bigger plan would come into fruition. Last thing, we're nearly there, the objective. This is like, why did Jesus come? It's in the last half of verse 5. Twofold purpose, two verbs there, redeem and receive. Redeem means to set free by paying the price. When he died on the cross, he paid the price, and he came like you would if you put something in at a pawn shop. If you want to get it back, you've got to go and redeem it. You've got to pay the price to get it back. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. He paid the price to redeem us so that we could receive the full rights of sons or adoption into his family. That's, that's why he did it. That's what Christmas is about. He came so that we, he could redeem us and that we could receive adoption to sonship, that we could come into the family and we could enjoy being part of the family and have access and inheritance and a full relationship and the same name and the same position and the same rights as Jesus Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ, the Bible says. We are adopted into his family. And you know God's desire? Right from the start, right back when he started thinking about this plan, God's desire was that everybody have, have the opportunity to come into the family. Maybe you're here this morning and you can already see how God has been positioning the moving parts of your life to get you to this place. And the timing up to this point has been a bit off and you've been waiting. Maybe today's the day. See, Jesus came to this earth to redeem you, to pay the price for you and for me. And the question is, will you receive the gift? Will you receive the adoption into the family? Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.